It's March 7th, 2023, and there's a new sheriff in town. I'm that guy. I'm Brandon Warren. You can find me on Twitter at Brandon underscore W-A-R-N-E. And I'm the brand new host of Locked on Twins. Tonight, we are going to talk about the 2023 Twins and how many games they're going to win. Right now, you are Locked on Twins, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked on Twins. Your daily Minnesota Twins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And good evening. We are here, Locked On Twins. I'm your host, Brandon Warren. Again, I can have you follow me on Twitter at Brandon underscore W-A-R-N-E. I am running this podcast for myself solo. For the first time in a long time, you may remember Nash Walker as the host of this podcast as of about a week ago, but Nash has moved on to what we, what I believe to be bigger and better things. And so we wish him the best. I will be taking over. I, you, you may remember me from the locked on twins postcast from last season that I did with Nash after a number of games. And besides that though, however, I was actually the first host of Locked On Twins, and so kind of a a prodigal son returning of sorts. But again, we wish the best for Nash. Um, I'm very excited for what the future holds on this show. I'm also I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm a little nervous. I'm still learning. I'm still getting through this process of of learning a few of the new technologies that have been added to this program since I last ran the ship. So today. For my first show, I wanted to talk about how many games I think the Twins are going to win this season. And if you if you have followed me in any form or fashion for a while, you know I am I like doing these beginning of season predictions because I don't know. I mean, it's, it gives you a leg to stand on if you say you were up on a team at the beginning of the season. It's good accountability. I think it's it's too easy for us to make predictions without any conviction at the beginning of the year and then not revisit them. My my most I should say the the most proud I am of a prediction was that I said the Twins were going to win and I'm trying to remember. I think it was 95 games in 2019. It might have been 96 uh, at the publication I was writing for at the time. And they ended up winning more than 100. It was it was exciting. Um, so we're going to try to bring that vibe to today's show. We'll talk a little bit about the division, the rest of the division. We'll go into hitting. We'll go into pitching. And hopefully I hit all my marks on the first show. But um, again, very excited to be with you, Locked On Twins, your team every day. This is, again, Locked On Twins. And so... Let's talk about the rest of this division. I, I don't want to give away my win total for the Twins right out of the shoot, But when I look at the rest of this division, uh, and shoot, they're not going to have as much divisional play this season. They've kind of revamped the schedule. Another one of the changes along with the changes to the shift, pitch clock, all stuff we'll get to at some point this season. But I think it still merits discussion what this team looks like in comparison to the rest of the division, sure, they won't play 19 games against each other anymore, but I think it's important that these are still the teams they're head-to-head against in the division. So 
while it's going to stink to have to play a team like Houston, if they're cruising at the end of the year, that's not your measuring stick. So uh, let's, let's start from what I perceive to be the bottom uh, Detroit, which I, I'm just not really seeing it right now. I think a lot of their development is tied up in young pitching, which can be scary. Matt Manning, Casey Mize, Tariq Skubal, all have dealt with arm injuries and, Matt Boyd is back there after dealing with an arm injury. I think that shows the volatility in rebuilding, not just rebuilding on the whole, but with a lot of, of equity in your pitching side. I mean, granted, Spencer Torkelson is a good prospect. Riley Green, good offensive prospect. But having a lot of that equity on the pitching side is super risky. So, um, you know, I think they'll jockey for position with the Royals. I, I did have the depth chart for the Royals pulled up here. And it's it's not bad. It, it, I don't know who's going to start on opening day. I believe they got the twins, but it, Zach Greinke gets the opening day nod because of his seniority. Brady Singer, because he's probably their best pitcher. Uh, they made a few moves this offseason that were interesting. Jordan Lyles, perfectly good number three starter. Ryan Yarbrough gets non-tendered by the Rays, ends up in Kansas City. I could see that working. And, and Brad Keller's kind of that sleeper that we've all been knocking on wood for here in the fantasy community. He's just He throws hard, but the stuff just has not quite been there, but I, I don't, I don't see the makings of a team that's going to win more than like 70 games, like a 70 and 92. I, I love Bobby Witt jr. But at the same time you have Hunter Dozier still hanging around. You traded away Adalberto Mondesi, which again, I get, you know, he's kind of like their answer to Byron Buxton in the sense of staying on the field. But Right now, their starting outfield is Nate Eaton, Kyle Isbell, and Edward Oliveras, according to ESPN.com's depth charts. To me, it's a team that's... I, I, do I want to even say it's on the upswing? I mean, you also look at this, too. They've had some pitching prospects that haven't panned out. Nevertheless, Detroit and Kansas City are my very clear four and five in this division. Number three is Chicago for me. I just, I just don't think they have been capable of getting out of their own way, whether it's ownership, which has proven to be a point of contention. I, I do talk to a lot of White Sox fans every now and then, and they really have not been a fan of ownership, Jerry Reinsdorf, uh, really at any point. And, you know, his insistence that they hire Tony La Russa, um, you know, some PR stuff that's really been, um, really been rough that they've kind of brought upon themselves. And then, you know, you look at their depth chart. I'll, I'll pull it up here just to make sure that I'm riffing on facts here. But, you know, the the rotation has the potential to be strong, strong enough, depending on what Michael Kopech gives them. Does Dylan, sorry, does Lance Lynn bounce back? Does Dylan Cease continue to be as good as he is? Who's the real Lucas Giolito? And, uh, you know, and two, uh, obviously not part of the analysis, but, it really does stink for Liam Hendricks to be out too uh, due to due to cancer. So again, you know, we wish the best for him. Former twin appears to be an all around good dude. Um, you know, you hate to see that no matter what. But like I said, when I when I look at this roster, I don't know if I see enough consistency. Like if if Yuan Mankata takes that step, that's huge. They need Andrew Vaughn to take that step. They need Eloy Jimenez to stay healthy. They need Luis Robert to go from really good to superstar. Honestly, if I'm looking at those things as a potential outcome, I don't hate it. 
But I just I don't see ample reason to get all that excited for this team. I think if if the Royals and Tigers are in that 64 to 70 win area, I think the White Sox are like that disappointing 78 win team. And 78 wins is is just it's such no man's land. It's it's Mike Trout Angels land. It's 7884, I want to say, got Paul Molitor fired and is also what the Twins did last year. Again, if memory serves correctly. It's just, it's it's not a good year no matter how you slice it. Just because, you know, it can be a stepping stone, but you still really weren't in contention in September in most divisions, but you didn't play enough compelling baseball. I don't know. I just, I think that's the kind of region the White Sox are in right now. The Guardians are my number two. So I know, again, it's probably going to come back to me as, oh, you know, you're a homer. You think the the Twins are the best team just because that's the the team you're covering right now or talking about right now. Um, but when I look at the Guardians and, you know, they did they did some things this offseason. Josh Bell obviously was probably their biggest ticket item. Um, I'm not really sure what to make of this team. You know, can, can James Karinczak get big outs? as the crackdown on sticky stuff continues and what will Mike Zanino give them behind the plate after thoracic outlet. And then they need encore seasons from some pretty big contributors, Steven Kwan, Andres Jimenez. I mean, Ahmed Rosario is a good player. Jose Ramirez is a good player. They're pretty solid up and down, but I think it, it was, a, it, I want to say as, as a baseball observer, it was, it was especially frustrating to watch Cleveland win as much as they did last year, not because they weren't well built. In fact, they kind of, they kind of give you like a 2003 twins vibe, like just before Joe Maurer came around strong bullpen, enough pitching, and then uh, a lineup that just kind of comes together and plays better than it might seem on paper or on the surface. I like the idea of that as a team. I just, I think the waves that they rode last year and, and credit to them for taking advantage of them. Uh, the waves they rode, rode, excuse me, last year, as far as, you know, facing the twins when they had no bullpen in the middle of the season, again, self-inflicted issues by the twins to be sure. Um, I just feel like Cleveland found themselves on the end of a lot of really positive coin tosses, if that makes sense, that I don't necessarily think they'll get this time around. And I, I don't think they're as deep as the Twins are. And again, you're listening to Locked On Twins. You shouldn't be surprised that I think the Twins are are have, have more depth. Um, but I, I just look at how these two teams are built, and I, I have nothing against the Guardians, but I favor how the Twins are built. I just think the the Twins are the team to beat. And honestly, um, you know, I think Cleveland could win 84, 86, 88 games which I guess tells you how many games I think the Twins might win. Let's let's first, though, let's talk about LinkedIn. LinkedIn jobs help you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on MLB. You know, if you're listening and you don't use LinkedIn, certainly worth a shot. Or if you have a job to post, as it says, linkedin.com slash locked on MLB. Check that out and find some qualified candidates for the jobs that you have out there or find a job for yourself. It's uh works for both. So let's, let's talk about this twins offense. I, I kind of go back and forth on it. If I can be perfectly honest, 
because I like the depth. I like the idea that they thought they could maybe trade Max Kepler because of, uh, you know, bringing on Joey Gallo. I like the idea that they did trade Luis Arise. Now we can talk about that trade another time, but they had the depth to do it. They have an idea of who can play first base without Luis Arise, who can play second base without Luis Arise, who can DH, which we'll get to in a second here too. But on this offense, there's still the question mark. I have more revolve around the young guys. And it's, it's no secret that obviously Carlos Correa has to stay healthy and Byron Buxton needs to stay as, as healthy as he has. And Joey Gallo's got a lot of swing and miss. Max Kepler has a lot to prove. But the way the Twins are built, they're still counting on quite a bit of production from, let's say, Jose Miranda, Alex Kirilov, and or Trevor Larnick. Th- those three guys are going to play a fairly significant role in, in where this team goes, whether they're filling three roles or two roles. I don't, I don't know what the first base mix is going to look like. We don't really know where Alex Kirilov is health-wise. But the general idea here is that the keys to this offense will not be solely in the hands of Carlos Correa and Byron Buxton. They're going to need help. That'll that'll include Royce Lewis, too, later on when he comes back. And, and maybe Edouard Julien, another guy we'll probably end up talking about quite a bit here this season. I think the pieces are there. But I also thought the pieces were there last year. And the difference this year is depth. Now, the, the problem is, if you look at the beginning of the season, you don't really envision that scenario where you're down to your seventh, eighth outfielder. I, like, if you imagined Mark Contreras and, and Matt Walner in the same outfield, people would have probably thought you were crazy. Um, and, and you probably would have been. That's just That just speaks to what 2022 was like for this team. But I think they've built a team that's that's more equipped to handle those storms. I don't think anybody can be equipped to handle them the way the Twins did with 2,000-plus days lost to the injured list. And I think bringing in a new trainer, uh, Papa Resta from the, uh, from the A's, is worthwhile uh, venture. I don't know how much a trainer actually has to do with injuries, but, you know, it's certainly worth a shot. But the, the depth that this team has built to me and especially true with bringing in Donovan Solano here late, uh, early in spring training, late in the the free off season period, there's just they're they're going to be better insulated against issues in the infield with Kyle Farmer, Donovan Solano, uh, you know Nick Gordon day to day with an ankle, but he's still on this roster. He's not a player who has any sort of position promise to him. So again, more depth. Um, you know the outfield, plenty of depth too. But uh, Willie Castro, who probably won't even make the team unless Gordon's injury is a bit worse than we think, that's a guy who's played quite a few big league games, has some experience. That, to me, signals that they 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 learned their lesson from last year. Now, this offseason, make or break was getting Carlos Correa, and it took a lot of um, branches, like falling down, breaking branches down the hill before something stuck. And let's not lose sight of that. The Twins offseason is a cataclysmic failure without Correa. None of this other stuff makes sense if they don't get Carlos Correa. So we should always view it through that lens. But the depth, to me, means they learned their lesson towards the end of last season when they desperately needed to start winning games again and just couldn't do it. 
Jermaine Palacios is in the lineup every uh, every other day. And Sandy Leon, it, they weren't in the spot where they could justifiably say they were they were making their way back into the race. So this depth should give them that opportunity to hang. And it's it's also depth with guys who've been there before. I mean, Kyle Farmer's played many big league games. Last year, he was a starting shortstop in the big leagues. You know, he's he's a solid player who's played every day. He's a vet. He's not going to sulk if he's not in the lineup one day. Same for Donovan Solano, who not only is a veteran who's been on some good teams, specifically San Francisco, but he had to completely revamp and reinvent his career in his late 20s or, or quite frankly, have a career for the first time in his late 20s. So I, again, I just, I think this depth is going to allow them to be very, very flexible, very, very able to handle injuries. And then in the outfield, I think the worst kept secret, and maybe you'll disagree, is that the Twins didn't trade for a gold glove caliber center fielder by accident. I have I have no gripes with Jake Cave specifically, but it became very clear that the Twins did not want to go down a path like that again. Michael Taylor did not become the player I think the Nationals had hoped he would based on his prospect status. Um, same is true for Victor Robles. I mean, when you're in a system with Bryce Harper, it can be hard to to live up to expectations, but, but Michael Taylor's turned into a really nice player. Uh, he gives him another right-handed stick, a little bit of pop, some speed, very good defense, just an all around really solid player. Um, when you look at him, when you look at farmer, when you look at Solano, to me, that signals a, a, a big change in a twins organization that usually those guys on the bench would be Hilberto Celestino. They would be guys like, you know, whoever the, the fourth, the fourth, the, the fifth infielder or whatever would be a prospect up from AAA as opposed to, you know, a couple guys with significant big league time. And then Nick Gordon, a top five, top 10, whatever draft pick from a few years ago who had a pretty nice year last year. Um, I just think this approach to building the roster offensively is just, it's so much different than uh, they've done in the past. If nothing else, I think you can say that they seem to be learning from mistakes and or the consequences that came as of how they built the roster, which is to say last year, the back 40% of it was Dylan Bundy and Chris Archer. Well, if those are your two guys and you're only going to let them pitch through two trips to the order, you have to have a better bullpen behind them. The twins didn't have that. And that's kind of where all that angst comes from. Um, I don't want to get too deep into pitching though. Pitching is going to be on our final segment of today's show. I just, again, I come back to this offense and um, I think Byron Buxton is going to DH a lot. That was kind of the point I was going to with Michael Taylor in the mix is if the path to getting a hundred and X, however many X is games from Byron Buxton is having him DH three days a week, two days a week. That might just be it. That might have to be it. So again, I, I think there's a lot of depth on this offense. I think there's a lot of skill on this offense, but a lot of that skill is young and still needs to prove it has staying power. Let's let's listen. Um, you know, I will. Uh, let, let's finish this off here in a second. I'm going to talk about this pitching staff because it's funny. It's not really a homegrown pitching staff, honestly, not really at all. But I think they're a little better than people think. Let's uh, let's talk about that next year. 
Okay, so we're back. It is the final segment of the first Locked on Twins for me here. March 7th, 2023. Glad to be back. Rolling solo again. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm learning on the fly a little bit here, so I'm going to do my best to be entertaining and learn the technical aspects. But hopefully so far you've enjoyed it. If you are picking us up here somehow in the third section, the first time around, we talked about where I think this Twins team fits in the division. In the second segment, we talked about offense and how I think this team has potential to be a very good offense, but is going to need some help from some younger players. And we're going to wrap it up with pitching. But before we get to pitching, let me just uh, let me break through the ice here. The Twins are going to win 92 games this year. Let that let that sink in. So in 2019, I want to say they I said 95, 96, they won 100. I said, uh, I think 96 the next year they won, what was it, 30, 38 or 36 in the 60-game season, which extrapolated out is about right. Um, and there's some years we don't have to talk about either. Let's uh, let's just say, let's just leave it at that. Um, no, but, but so the reason I keep coming back to 92 wins is I feel like that is about the ceiling of where you would call a team truly elite. You know, 92 wins is like, yeah, that's a pretty good season. 93 wins, though, is when I start thinking, oh, boy, look out for these guys. And I don't know why that is. It's a round numbers thing. It's uh, who knows? I don't know why that is. But I think that's the kind of team this Twins team is. They're deep. They're skilled. But they have a lot of question marks. Now, in seasons where all those question marks have gone wrong, like 2018, like 2022, you win 78 games and it's a wholly unsatisfying season. You know, it's not like the 2016 twins who lose hundred games draft Royce Lewis. And at least there's some ray of sunshine at the end of this, assuming he gets healthy. That, that 78 win season is so unsatisfying. Now, again, they have the fifth overall pick, so that doesn't really apply here in terms of draft capital, but nobody likes to sit through a 78 win season. It's not fun for anybody, but, I think the twins are better prepared to weather the storms that are going to come with, you know, a starting rotation that is first of all, 0% homegrown, which I think is a little surprising, but you know, Sonny Gray's had issues staying healthy in the past. Pablo Lopez was dealing with the shoulder. Tyler Malley's dealing with a, an arm thing. Kent Maeda just had Tommy John and Joe Ryan's been mostly healthy, but um, you know, ramping up his workload is, is going to be, the next challenge he faces as he continues to try to be a pitcher who kind of works in that mold of Jake Odorizzi with, with, um, you know, not necessarily a blazing fastball, but uh, good location and, and knowing what to do with it. But I, I, 92 wins. I keep, I come back to 92 wins because it doesn't feel too aggressive to be unrealistic, but it's also putting myself out there and saying this team's going to win the division. And I, I understand why that might not be popular from a local standpoint, because there's a lot of twins fans and Minnesota fans in general who are fatalists. And I get that. And two, I've noticed that certain, let's just say groups on Twitter uh, fan bases can be a little chirpy. If you talk about them in any way that isn't completely, um, you know, fawning over them. Uh, we won't name names, but, I, I just I look at this twins team as the the class of the central, and I might get blasted for that, and I can handle that. That's fine. 
But this is the most skilled, talented rotation I've seen a Twins team have since I started watching. Now, keep in mind, or if you don't know, now you know, I started watching in 1993, which is about the worst season you could start watching the Twins. They win the World Series in 91, 92, they're good, but don't make it. 93, it just, it falls apart. It's the beginning of the end for Kent Herbeck, beginning of the end for Kirby Puckett, beginning of the end for Dave Winfield, so on and so forth. This is the best in terms of skill and talent rotation I've seen. Now, the 2019 rotation performed well. The 2010 rotation performed well. And my personal favorite, the 2006 rotation, had Johan Santana and Francisco Liriano both dealing through the middle of the summer. Brad Radke was on his last legs, but still as good as anybody as a, as a number three starter in those days. You got Booth Bonzer, you've got Matt Garza, you've got Scott Baker. Now, those guys weren't who they became yet in terms of uh, especially Baker and Garza. But again, you look at the skill aspect, and that 2006 team is, is tough to top. But I think this group does it. And again, I get why people say you can't win in the playoffs without a true number one starter. But if any team was going to test that, I think this might be it. Now, you could say, I mean, Tyler Malley has the stuff of a number one. If he puts it all together, he could be a number one. Pablo Lopez, much the same. And Sonny Gray is kind of that vanilla number two starter that every team in the majors should love to have. Kenta Maeda finished second in the Cy Young Award in his first year at the team. Took a step back in the second season and then, you know, didn't didn't pitch last season. Uh, has a lot to prove, but as a number five starter, that's perfectly respectable. Um, Joe Ryan, again, who knows if he'll start opening day or the fifth day of the season. The fact that he could slot in anywhere there and that would make sense is a pretty good tell. This is a good rotation. And Bailey Ober. I mean, Bailey Ober's on the outside looking in, and this guy's got a career ERA of like 3.8 strikeout per inning. There were seasons I covered where that would be the opening day starter by far. There were seasons that were decent, like 2015, where that would be the number three starter, maybe even the number two starter behind Irvin Santana. So it's saying a lot how far they've come in terms of rotation depth. That doesn't mean that they've developed pitching as people had hoped this, this front office group would have. To be fair, Bailey Ober is kind of their first breakthrough. They'll hopefully have Gus Varlin breakthrough. And beyond that, they traded for Simeon Woods Richardson. The The hope is that Jordan Balazovich can get back on track, uh, though, though he's hit a few bumps along the way, um, to say the least. I, I just, I think this team runs about seven deep in the rotation. And, uh, you know, Gus Varlin, not Gus, sorry, wrong Varlin brother, Louis Varlin, my mistake. Um, you know, again, perfectly logical number seven starter. You've got Randy Dobnak, who started some games that could easily find himself back on the 40-man roster, uh, assuming health of his finger. I just I like this rotation. I think this rotation is deep. And I haven't left much time for the bullpen. <laughs> so let's talk about the bullpen for a second. Now, now we all know Joan Duran is the guy that, uh, well, a lot of fans want to see close. Other fans like seeing him as a fireman. I, I, I like seeing him as a fireman. If I'm facing Cleveland, I want him to pitch whatever inning of seven, eight, nine, Jose Ramirez is coming up. That's that's it. Because I don't need to save him for a ninth inning where he's facing Miles Straw and Oscar Gonzalez, and then maybe 
Stephen Kwan if the, the lineup wraps around. I don't need to save him for that. I believe Jorge Lopez has more than he showed. And again, it's not fair. It's, the reason why trading for relievers with a small window the rest of the season at a deadline is that it's so easy for that to go sideways. And that's exactly what we saw. You know, Michael Fulmer was decent. Lopez, um, let's be honest, it, it was not very good. But I, I think, you know, he's going to have a full season. I think there's more for him to, to kind of dig into there. He was he was phenomenal in the first half for Baltimore. Um, so those are my two guys at the back end. Obviously, it's not like I'm really, um, you know, setting the world on fire with these takes. I really like Griffin Jacks. I saw some video of him, you know, ripping 98. I think it was at driveline. It's, it's amazing to me. You know, we talked about Liam Hendricks earlier in the show. Starters that you just don't see it with them, and they just turn into these absolutely bananas relievers. And I love to see it. And that's Griffin Jacks is another one of those guys who did that. And, you know, um, kudos to them. Cheers to them because it's um, it's a big change. But these guys have done it. Glenn Perkins did it. was phenomenal. Same kind of deal. Uh, Jorge Alcala. I want to see what he's got in terms of um, – can he, can he bring the heat still? He's dealt with some arm stuff. What's his his uh, his secondary stuff going to look like? He could be anywhere from fourth in this bullpen to not a factor at all, um, which is crazy when you think about it. And two, when you think about last year's bullpen, keep in mind that he got hurt. Cody Stashak got hurt. Danny Coulomb got hurt. They had some guys in place that should have been pretty decent before they started going to the Juan Manias and Tyler Thornburgs of the world and the Jarrell Cottons. Like that, that was never the plan. It's just with a 40 man roster, it's hard to plan for all this stuff when guys start getting hurt like they did. So what will Alcala provide? Uh, Havani, Giovanni Moran uh, throws gas from the left side, has a changeup that our guy Nash had posted some video of. Um, you know, some of our other pitching type friends really like his stuff. Uh, and then the elephant in the room is Emilio Pagan, which, you know, it is what it is. He throws 97. He gives up a ton of homers. If he's your sixth, sixth or seventh reliever, it's it's not the end of the world. But, um, you know, he, he probably can't throw higher leverage than that. Uh, I think Trevor McGill's interesting. And then you go beyond that. You've got Dennis Santana, who's in that conversation. Let's see who else we've got here. Um, just on the 40 man alone, Cole Sands, Josh Winder and Winder too, is a number eight starter, uh, perfectly, perfectly logical, perfectly reasonable. Um, Lenny Enriquez, who knows how good he is. Aaron Sanchez still in this mix. I think they're in a good spot with the relief pitching that they've picked up. Granted, I understand why people wanted Brad hand or, or whoever, um, it just wasn't happening. It, you know, he, he wanted more money than they were willing to give. They ended up claiming Santana. And that was that. Ultimately, though, what I see here, this pitching staff, this this whole roster, I see incredible depth. I see very strong top-to-bottom depth chart. I think they have enough guys in the high minors. Um, Edouard Julien, again, do not forget that name. And if you've been listening to Nash, I'm sure you've heard that name plenty. But another guy who could very easily step in, get big plate appearances at first base, DH, maybe second base, but I don't think I really see it. Those are all spots where the twins have needs. So I think they have enough prospect help at the cusp of the big leagues in terms of Simeon Woods, Richardson, Matt Walner, um, you know, uh, Royce Lewis, eventually coming back, that sort of thing. I just think that they're in an immensely better position to ward off whatever injuries might come their way. Again, hoping because of Paparesta, it will be fewer, but we can't really prove that. 
So again, thank you so much. If you enjoyed the show, please like, subscribe, follow Locked On Min, Locked On Twins, at Brandon underscore Warren. What a blast. Thank you so much for coming along for this first episode. Hang with me. I'll get better. Hopefully the show will get better. But again, this show is nothing without the listeners. Again, thank you so much, and we'll see you tomorrow.